time, Ephesians chapter 6, the verses 1 through to 4. That is our text for this morning's sermon. And in your pew Bible, that's page 979. Ephesians chapter 6, the verses 1 through to 4. This is the word of God. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I have in my electronics graveyard an old computer with a screen that doesn't work properly. If you turn it on, the screen has all these large green and purple bands across it vertically so that it's almost impossible to use. Now, if you look at one pixel on a screen... Why is it so important for that one pixel to show the right color at the right time? It's just one little dot. Well, it's important for each individual pixel to represent the right color at the right time, and the right amount of brightness at the right time, because each individual pixel is part of the big picture. And when individual pixels are out of sync or out of whack, then that affects the big picture. And as we look at our text this morning, our text is something very specific. It's about the home and about how children and parents relate inside a home. And in a way, it's a very small and focused thing, but it's something set in a very large picture. What I want to do before I get right into the text is briefly remind ourselves of what has happened so far in this letter to the Ephesians. So we get the big picture, and we can situate our text in that picture. And you remember how Ephesians begins with that great, big, huge, long, one-sentence praise of the apostle. In the Greek, it's, most of it's just one sentence, in which he just exalts and praises and worships God for his electing love. In Christ Jesus our Lord. And that beautiful picture of God's sovereign, eternal, electing love is a picture of God's love for us in Christ. Look at verse 5, chapter 1, if you have your Bible handy. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. He lavishes his grace upon us in Christ. Now, what is the purpose of all of this? What is the end goal? What is God doing all of this for? Well, look at verse 9. The purpose is this. He set it forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's the goal of everything. 
that everything would be united and held together in Christ. And so as we go through Ephesians, that's what we see happening. In chapter 2, we see the apostle talking about the glorious work of God in making dead sinners alive and uniting them again with their creator, with their father in heaven. In chapters 2 and 3, we see him speaking of the glorious truth that the human race is no longer cut in two parts, the covenant people against the rest, the Jews against the Gentiles. But now the Jews and Gentiles are all welcome into God's family. There's one body. And that dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed and broken down. And so there's one body filled with the love of Christ, filled with the spirit and the fullness of God, held together, united in Christ. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says to the church, well, this is who you are. This is who you are in Christ. And so now be who you are. Jesus has ascended in glory. Jesus has poured out the spirit and the gifts of the spirit. And so Christ is at work in the church through the Spirit, through the Word, through the sacraments. He's uniting the members of the body in love to one another and together to Christ the head. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul goes on explaining the consequences of that. He says, listen, you can't live the way you used to because Jesus has changed things. You can't live like you're still part of that dead carcass called fallen humanity united with Adam in his fall and rebellion and death. You are in the resurrected and living Christ. And so there is no more darkness. You are light in the Lord. There's no more death and living in the flesh. You are alive in the spirit. So live like it. Don't waste your time. Don't be a fool. Don't medicate your way through life's problems with drugs and alcohol and addiction to any sin, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another, singing, making melody, making praise, giving thanks, and submitting. And you remember those participles are all falling under that category of being filled with the Spirit. And that last one, submitting to one another, taking our places. And that's what we're working through right now as the apostle gives examples of being filled with the Spirit and by grace being restored to our places. This is the undoing of the fall. Because the fall was all about leaving our appointed place, abandoning our creational role. And the fall brought in a fundamental twistedness. We're out of place in our relationship between God and man. We're out of place in our relationships between man and woman, husband and wife. We're out of place in our relationships between humans and the creation. And Christ fixes things. Christ restores things. Christ unites things and people. Christ heals. And in the power of the Spirit, then, we take our places. Each one of us with our own unique gifts and situations, carrying out our office, embracing our role in the body and in this world. And this is part of that glorious cosmic work of the Lord Jesus Christ, uniting all things in himself. Everything holds together in him. 
The whole universe does. The whole scriptures do. Society does. Marriage does. Family does. And work all hold together in the healing and restoring and uniting power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so last week we saw that as it pertains to marriage and the relationship between wife and husband. And today we come to the relationship between children and parents. A very specific little pixel in this great big glorious picture of the work of God in Christ. And so we come to chapter 6, verse 1. We'll begin there. And if you have your Bible open, it will be easier for you to understand what I'm saying and when I'm saying it because I'm following the text. But sometimes I'll jump ahead a few verses and it will be helpful to have it in front of you if you can. Children, obey is the word. This is not the word submit that we've seen before, taking your place. This is obey. Listen to your parents and the Lord for this is right. Now remember that this whole section is about taking our God-ordained place. How do children take their place? Well, they honor, look at verse 2, they honor their father and their mother. That's what they're called to do. That's their role. That's their office. That's their calling. That's their place. And the way you honor mom and dad, one of the most important and significant ways of honoring, especially for little children, is to obey. Now, children, you know that that is not always easy, right? Is it easy to obey mom and dad all the time? Well, no, it's not. Because sometimes it feels like mom and dad aren't being fair. Or sometimes we don't like their decisions. And it doesn't feel good to obey because we want things to be different. Children, the Lord Jesus understands what it's like to be a child. The Lord Jesus was a baby, and then he was a little child. And you remember what happened when he was 12 years old and his parents took him to Jerusalem and, he, and they were in the temple. And there he was in his father's house, and he just rejoiced to discuss the word of God and his father's will with the, the greatest teachers of that time. And he was so caught up in that that his parents left and then they found out that he wasn't with the, the group. They had to go back and they had to spend three days searching for him. And they finally found him discussing the scriptures. And he says, did you not understand? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But then look at what happens next. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51, we read this. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. That's the word that we have in Ephesians here for submitting, that word for taking your place, embracing your role. He was submissive to them. This is God made flesh. This is the one from whom and for whom and through whom all things were made. This is the one before whom the entire creation and all the multitudes of angels are constantly falling down on their faces and worshiping. And he, in his role, 
as the Messiah, as a true human being, as a true human child, as a true child, he was submissive to his parents. He listened to them. He accepted his place. Now, he was perfect. He was sinless. And I'm sure that many times his parents would have made mistakes and even committed sins in their parenting. And many times perhaps were perhaps unfair to him as a child. But he took his place and he honored them. And he loved them. And his core attitude, the core attitude of honor, is willing obedience. So the Lord Jesus understands what it's like to be a child. And he also shows us how to be a godly child. Now when the scriptures command obedience to authority, they never command absolute blind obedience in any situation or to any authority. And so look at how the apostle writes things here. He says, children, obey your parents. And then there's no full stop. But he keeps going. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Now, the word Lord in the Greek is kyrios. It's the, the way that the New Testament writers have of referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Children, obey your parents in Christ, we could even say. That's who the Lord refers to. Now, children, how can you worship the Lord Jesus Christ? How can you love the Lord Jesus? Well, the Bible tells you. If you love the Lord Jesus, then you show that by obeying your parents in the Lord. For this is right. And when the apostle says this is right, he, he means this is righteous. This is the way things are supposed to be. This is the way God made things to be. And when we do things and when we live in a way that God made things to be, it's good and there's blessing in it. And when we don't live according to the way God made things to be, it's painful and it breaks things and it hurts. And just to give you a silly example, if you're in the classroom at school, the way of getting out of the classroom is through the door. That's the way things are made to be. You want to get out of the classroom, you open the door, you walk through it. If you try to leave the classroom through the wall, that's not the way things are supposed to be, right? You're going to hurt yourself if you try to walk through the wall. That's not the right way to do things. And so, if you don't obey your parents in the Lord, then you're not living the way that God made the world to be. And it will be painful. It will be painful to you and painful to your parents. Now, parents, when we see at the beginning, at the end of our text, those important words, in the Lord and of the Lord, we are reminded by God that parenting is not about us and it is not about our will. Now, sometimes we get frustrated, some of us maybe anyway, and the children are complaining or they're not obeying and they ask why and then we say, because I said so. And sometimes that's true, but it's certainly not the ultimate reason, is it, for why our children should obey Look at verse 4. We'll jump ahead of verse 4 for a minute. The apostle says, parents, fathers is here, uh, just like in English, or how English used to be, fathers represents the plural 
category of men and women, mothers and fathers together are included in this word. So we could translate parents. Parents, do not provoke your children to anger. You see, just like marriage, so also the parent-child relationship is not a relationship structured by raw power. Rather, it is a relationship of covenantal love in Christ. And so parents are not to provoke and exasperate, because that's another translation. They're not to provoke or exasperate their children. Children are not little slaves and little servants that must jump to do their parents' bidding. They are not puppets and marionettes to be controlled and made to do what we want. Our children belong to God. Our children are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Our children carry on their forehead the very seal of God's ownership. They carry the thrice holy name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they belong to Him. And Jesus died so that they might belong to Him, body and soul. And so they are royal children, and they are sons and daughters of the kingdom of light. And so how dare we mistreat them or abuse them with words or actions or neglect them or treat them as if they exist for us? They are entrusted into our stewardship, and we have the duty to train up sons and daughters of God in the discipline and instruction of the Lord to train them up for eternal life the eternal life of glory and worship in the kingdom of heaven. And so our parenting does not focus just only on obedience, but our parenting focuses on bringing up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Everything is Christ-focused when we interact with our children. And this focus ought to consume us. I am preparing my child for eternal glory. And beginning in this life, he or she will already begin to taste it. And then they will continue for all eternity in the next to rejoice in and glorify God. And so we read Deuteronomy chapter 6. And after giving the law in chapter 5, Moses presses upon parents the holy duty that every moment in every aspect of home life, we ought to be directing our children to live in God, from God, and for God. And he doesn't leave much out here. If you look back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, these words shall be on your heart. That means parents, first of all, must be believers if they would be godly parents. And then you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Every moment of the Christian family life, every aspect of the Christian home is dedicated to that overarching goal that we as a family 
would pass on to our children a delight in God, a love for God, worship of God, and a desire to live according to the will of God. That's the way things are supposed to be. That should be our greatest focus, our greatest project, our greatest priority, our greatest goal. And this morning, we as parents ought to stop and think, is it? Does that characterize my home, my family, and my parenting? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word discipline here in verse 4 is in the Greek, paideia, and it's, it's more than just teaching them things. It's more than just teaching them to, to brush their teeth and to do personal hygiene. It's more than just filling their mind with facts. It's more than giving them skills or knowledge to get a good-paying job. The word behind the word discipline in our text is a word which means soul formation, molding character, teaching children how a royal child of God carries himself or herself. And that forming of character, that's behind that word discipline, it doesn't mean spankings. When we think of discipline, we think of spankings or sending someone to their room. That's not the, that's not the meaning of the word here. It's discipling or disciplining, training, and helping them become who they are called to be and who they are by God's grace in Jesus Christ. And so when we're forming the character of the royal children of God for eternity, then part of that is warnings and admonition. And that's the word instruction here. Yeah, I know it seems a little backwards from our translation, but the word behind the word instruction in our text means admonitions and warnings, instruction about what not to do. And the consequences of bad choices, the consequences of bad attitudes, the consequences of bad priorities, bad company, and bad goals. When parents do not take the time and the energy to set limits, and to instruct their children about the consequences of bad choices and the consequences of sin, then there was great suffering and pain. You think of Eli. Eli did not restrain his sons. They were blaspheming God. They were turning the holy tabernacle of God into a, into a, a terrible place of sin and wickedness. And that led to their destruction under the wrath of God, and Israel suffered for it. And then you think of David, that great man of God, but the first three sons in line for the throne were in the first place Ammon. Oh, Amnon, sorry. Amnon failed. Uh, David failed to deal with Amnon's vile sin against his sister Tamar. He just looked the other way, didn't do anything about it. And that led to massive pain for Tamar and for the royal house. And for Israel, because it set in motion a whole chain of events, which eventually led to a whole pile of murders and Amnon himself dying. David also indulged Absalom, who was a vain and ambitious young man. And even when he was uh, fighting against his own father and trying to take the throne by force, David was still indulging him. And then Adonijah, the third in line to the throne, 
tried to claim the throne again by a coup. And in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 6, we read that his father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? David had never bothered to put limits on Adonijah's life. He had never bothered to instruct him. He had never bothered to say, you need to be restrained. You need to stop. This is not the right way to act or to think or to live. And that led again to, in this case, Adonijah's death and more grief for the people of Israel and also the death of Joab. What does the Bible say? He who does not correct his son hates him. And there are a lot of children in this world who are living uh, undisciplined lives, who are living lives of permissive, uh, under permissive parenting, whose deepest desire is that just once their parents would show that they love them by saying, no, that's not good for you. I forbid you because I love you. A lot of kids don't hear that. But they ought to, and they especially ought to in a household of parents and children that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the apostle says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When we teach, when we form character, when we admonish, when we correct, when we restrain, it is always in relation to the Lord, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our parenting doesn't come across, oh, you have disappointed me. You have broken my commands or uh, instructions. But our parenting focuses on the Lord Jesus Christ. How did what you did glorify Christ? Or if your actions did not glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, what could you have done differently so that you did bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus? That's the kind of parenting that the Bible calls us to, Christ-focused, Christ-oriented parenting. And you see how important that is because in our tiny little text of just four verses, the text begins and ends with that focus. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's all about Christ from the beginning to the end. And in that context, Paul speaks those words in verse 2. Those words in verse 2, honor your father and your mother. He quotes the fifth commandment. Now, why would Paul quote an Old Testament commandment in the New Testament? There are some people that say, Jesus came, you know, the, the laws were with Moses, but grace and truth comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, the letter kills, but the spirit makes alive. And so now that Jesus is here, let's throw away the law. Paul doesn't do that. Paul brings in the very law of God and Ten Commandments right here in this instruction about how to lead a spirit-filled life, how to live a life in Christ, a life filled with the word, a life filled with worship and praise and thankfulness, a life in which grace restores and puts us back in our proper place where we can live and worship optimally. You see right here in our text, there is no conflict between spirit and law here. A lot of Christians make that mistake. They take the law, they throw away the law, they say, it's just the spirit now. 
That's not how it works. And we see that right in our text. There's no conflict between spirit and law. A spirit-filled family is a family who embraces and loves the law of God, who lives out God's commands and the power of the spirit. He has set us free from death and darkness, from sin and from the power of the devil and the flesh. And we are free in Christ. Free not to do what we want, but free to do what we ought. We're no longer slaves to sinful passions and selfish desires and rebellious and sinful hearts. But we are free to obey God. And that means we're free to obey those whom God has set in authority over us. And the very first authorities we meet in our life are mom and dad. That's where we start learning about how to respect authority, how to honor authority, how to obey authority. And families, therefore, in Christ and in the Spirit, are free to be well-ordered microcosms of society, a home of harmony and peace and love and mutual submission in which parents and children take their place in the created order. And so godly and loving, cheerful obedience to authority, learned under the tutelage of godly, loving parents, prepares children for this life and for the next. That's why the apostle says that in verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, in the Old Testament, that promise was for living in the promised land. The promised land was a picture of the region of Eden, and in the middle was the temple, which was a picture of the garden. So they were living in God's land and, and close to God's presence. In the New Testament, what is the, the land in which we can live long in? Well, where is the temple? We know where the temple is. The temple is the church, the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. And so in the New Testament, we don't just dwell in the land. We dwell in the temple. We live in the Holy of Holies, not just when we're in church, because this building isn't the Holy of Holies. You are the Holy of Holies. Because the Spirit of God lives in us as a congregation. And so at every moment of every day, we live in the Holy of Holies. And the apostle says, you need to be honoring your parents so that you may live long in the land of God, in the, in the Holy of Holies, in the presence of God. Now, we can't give faith to our children. But the greatest gift that we can give is that our children can say for mom and dad, the highest priority of their life and the deepest desire of their souls was that I would walk with God, that I would love the Lord Jesus Christ, and that I would live for him. And when our children look back on our legacy, when we are called from this life into glory, is that what they will be able to say? That that was the most important project for mom and dad, that we would be prepared for eternal glory in the presence of Christ, our Savior. Now, when we have the right focus in our parenting, then there is blessing for our children when they learn to honor and obey in Christ, in the Lord. There's blessing already in this life. There's blessing, children, when we learn to obey in the Lord. There's blessing for us because when we meet other authorities... 
having learned how to submit to authority in the home, when we meet other authorities at school, the teachers or our employer at work, the police on the streets or the civil magistrate, then if a child has been brought up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, they will already be trained how to relate to other authorities. A godly child will be a faithful student, will be a hardworking and dependable employee, will be a respectful and obedient citizen before the police, will honor the civil magistrate. And so just listening to God's instruction in our text will already make life on this earth a lot better. But look at the big picture. Remember, this is just a little spot in a great big picture. Because children taught to honor and obey their parents are not only preparing for blessing in this life, but they're being formed and molded for eternal glory. This command is brimming with promise. Ultimately, when we submit to authority set over us by God, we submit to God himself. And when the Spirit fills us with his power, and we take our places under the authority of our parents, and we accept and obey them as our first and most important teachers and guides, then we are part of that glorious cosmic redeeming work of God in Christ, that he is making the whole universe new, that he is making all things new, that he is uniting all things to himself. We are part of that program of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring in the beginnings of a new world where everything will be in its place, where everything and everyone will be united and held together in Christ, where everything and everyone will be finely tuned and divinely prepared to bring maximum, optimum, eternal praise and worship and glory to God. That's the main goal here. And that's the context, the cosmic context of the instruction of the apostle to obey our parents. So children, listen. Listen for the sake of God to your parents. Listen for the sake of your life here and forever. Listen to your parents in the Lord. Your parents have something to teach you. They have words, advice, encouragement, instruction, warnings. They have an example to give you. The good example, and they'll also share with you as you get all those, some of the bad examples of what not to do that they've learned by experience. And your parents love you. And the deepest longing of their heart is that they would appear before God on that great day together with you and say to the Lord, here am I and the children you have given me. Amen.